Yeah. All right, we'll go ahead and we'll get started. We are uh, we're still going to finish up the session 28 page. We're starting at number two. Um, the, the preachers, the pastors, the missionary team, however you want to say it, they have been at Thessalonica. And uh, they have left. And the next place they're going to go is what we're going to read. Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. So let's start with that. 17, verses 10 through 15. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away at night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more no, no um, I'm sorry. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, if not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Then the brothers immediately kept Paul out on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. The men who accompanied Paul brought him to Athens, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So we want to stop us. We went ahead and screw Okay. I was looking at the word to make sure I was going to say it the right way. So, they go on to this town, Berea. The town of Berea. Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy uh, all go to Berea. And you can see on your map there, uh, at the top of the page, you have Macedonia on the top left. You see Thessalonica that's just underneath the E. And then to the left of Thessalonica, you see Berea. You see Berea. Um, that's all right. Does anybody else need a sheet? We're on 28 here still, but there's 29. Anybody else? I need 28. All right. Sorry about that. That's all right. Thank you. Okay, so they go to the city of Berea. And what's the reason that they've gone there? What's happened at Thessalonica? Jews want them, what, thrown in prison? Or yeah. <laughs> they, they start a riot. And the riot gets blamed on the Christians. Okay? And um, now... They've taken a, uh, I think the word that I used was, um, you know, when Vicar gets arrested, right? Wind. And, and charged with a crime, okay? They let him out of prison on in what 
In what way? Has to put up a bond. He has to put up a bond. Now what's the point of the bond? Make sure he abides by the rules the judge set down, and if not, they forfeit the bond. Right. So he gives them money in exchange for his freedom. And if he follows the rules and he shows up for his court date and uh, all that, that money that he put up for bond, he gets back. But if he gets arrested again and is doing terrible things, as vicars do, right? As vicars are, then he forfeits that bond. And they've done the same kind of thing with this gentleman, Jason. They have taken money and they have taken possessions from Jason in Thessalonica and they said no more rioting or we're going to take all this and it's going to become ours. We won't be able to use it. So for that reason Paul and Silas go to Berea. Now when do they go to Berea? At night. At night. What does this tell you? They're sneaking out of <laughs> They're sneaking out. Is it safe to travel at night in the ancient world? No, not, not particularly, right? Uh, for example, um, in the city of Rome itself, which you think would be one of the safest places to be at night, at night, the Roman Emperor Nero and his pals went masquerading around beating people up for fun. Okay? And it was nighttime. They're hard to catch. You can escape easier. Okay? You've watched cops. You know what happens at night. Okay? <laughs> Same sort of thing in the ancient world. So they're traveling at night when it's dangerous to travel for the very purpose of avoiding what? Being arrested. Being arrested again. Okay? Um, their job is to preach the word. And that's hard to do from jail. So now they're escaping at night. They're taking a little bit more dangerous route. They're traveling um, at night to the next town to avoid being arrested. When they get to Berea then, okay, um, what's the first place that they go? This sounds familiar, right? Because all the other places, where do they start preaching? For what purpose? Find people familiar with the scriptures. Find people familiar with the scriptures. Show them how Christ fulfills the scriptures. And that kind of builds your base. I hate to use that word, right? <laughs> that builds the foundation for being able then to preach to other people in the community. Then you have a place maybe you could stay, right? Because um, if... If I go and I preach uh, at the synagogue and someone's converted, maybe they'll let me stay in their home. And then I don't have to get a hotel. Etc., um, etc. Et so they start and they preach in the synagogue. Now we have this weird thing here in verse 11. What's it say in verse 11? These Jews are more noble. These Jews were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica. What does this mean? What does noble mean? Principle. Principle, yeah, that's what we think. Hierarchy. Royalty. Yeah. I don't think 
those are the way they mean it. Paul and Luke are not saying these guys were much friendlier, nicer people than those rednecks in Thessalonica, right? It, we, lots of times that's how we think, right? You're a, you're a noble or you're a redneck, right? Or what's the words we use? Blue collar and uh, white collar, right? Okay, that's not what he means. The word noble in the Greek means high born, well born. Okay? Now, that could mean they are uh, white collar instead of blue collar. I got that the right way, right? Yeah. Okay. That's weird because I'm white collar all the time. Keeps <laughs> away from these and ticks. No, just these. It could mean that, but I think what it means is that they are well born and so they are educated. They're more educated. And that is going to be reflected in the way that they receive the word that comes to them. It's not just a put down. It means that they are educated. And so, when Paul preaches, based upon the Old Testament, what do the people of Berea do? Okay, they understand. What else do they do, according to what we read? Yeah. They hear what Paul says, and then they go and they open the Bible, and they read the Bible, and they see if what Paul says matches what the Bible says. That is an important thing for us to learn. Okay? Because when you hear God's Word, what should you do? Oh, noble good shepherdians, shepherdians, shepherdites. Check the scripture to see what you tell us. That's right. You shouldn't take my word for it. You should take the scriptures for it. You shouldn't believe Pastor Poppy just because he's been pastor here for 25 years and has a good mustache. <laughs> right? Everything that's said, you should check against the scriptures to make sure it's the truth. For what purpose? So you know that they're, they're the um, honest people and they're telling the word of God. And you can check for false yeah. prophets and false, false teachers. Yeah, to make sure you're not hearing a lie about Jesus. So, for example, if I'm preaching a sermon on Sunday, and I say something like this, we need more money in the offering plate because we don't have enough money for the pastor to get fancy gold chains and... My airplane is a used airplane instead of a brand new airplane. And that means that all of you aren't real Christians. If you just trust me for my sake and not studying God's word, then what's going to happen? I'm going to get a better airplane. <laughs> and I use those two examples. Did you see in the news 10 days ago 
The pastor who was robbed during church that had the big, huge gold chains. And he had the big, huge gold chains because his people were just giving him money. There's another past, uh, pastor named uh, Creflo Dollar, which is just a great name for this kind of pastor, Creflo Dollar. And he did the airplane thing in his congregation. He made them feel so guilty that he had a used airplane that they raised the funds to buy him a new airplane. Is he a bush pilot in Alaska by any chance? No, not at all. <laughs> I don't remember where he is. Do you know where he's at? Have you heard of him before, Vicar? No. So yeah. instead of driving from place, he's float planing from place to place. It's not even a float plane. No. It's a, um, it's not a uh, 727, but it's a, it's a passenger jet airline. Okay? You are to study God's word to make sure you hear the truth for the sake of your soul. Because where is the Holy Spirit always working? In the Word. In the Word. Preached and taught in its truth and purity. And there's nothing more important than you hearing God's Word preached and taught in its truth and purity. Because there's where the Holy Spirit's at work. And there is the certainty of what happens to us at the end of our life here. In the Word of God. The word, the word, the word, uh, as Pastor Poppins says. So, that's how we should use the scripture. And, you'll see in Berea, again, okay, when the people were studying the word, when they've heard the sermon, and when they read the Bible to make sure what they heard is the truth, what's the result? of them believed. Yeah. Many of them therefore believed. The therefore is important. What's the therefore referring to from before? By reading the Bible and hearing the word, they believed. And not just the Jews, but also a few Greek women as well as men. Okay? So, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. That's what makes the church grow. We see that again. Now, we also have seen in all these places Paul's been visiting, when the word is preached and taught its truth and purity, what also happens? Some people don't like it. <laughs> Some people don't like it. That's the right way to say it. And in this particular instance, who are the people who don't like it? From... Yeah, verse 13, the Jews from Thessalonica learn that Paul's now preaching in Berea. And so now they come there too, and they agitate, and they stir up the crowds. And again, what do they do for Paul and the other brothers? Yeah, except this time what do they do? They leave Silas and Timothy. So Paul gets out of there again, and Silas and Timothy stay. Now what are Silas and Timothy doing? Preaching. Preaching. They're continuing to preach and teach, even after Paul has left. 
Okay? All right, questions on Maria? All right, we're going to pick up then where the top of session 29. We're going to move on now to the city of Athens. That's where we're going to head. I want to just say a little bit about Athens before we start to read it. Oh, sorry. Um, Athens, in a sense, is, is kind of like the, the mother of Western civilization. Okay? The city of Athens is founded somewhere around 500 BC. Okay? And it's one of the first places that figures out how to raise enough food and supplies and things that you don't have to just scrape by for your living. And not scraping by for your living gives you time to do other things. And so the Athenians uh, invented things like beautiful architecture and math and uh, philosophy. And I'm overgeneralizing a whole lot here. But in a sense, Athens is kind of the center in the ancient, ancient world for that sort of thinking and activity. That does cause problems for it eventually. <laughs> and uh, they lose a few wars because they get too big for their bridges. Eventually they are conquered and the city is destroyed in the 80s BC by the Romans. And then the city is refounded. And in a sense, the thought processes, the ideals of Athens conquer the Romans, even as the Romans conquer the city itself. So, Augustus, the first Roman emperor, loves the city of Athens. And he gives them tons of money, and they put that money into building and things like that. It becomes a cosmopolitan place. Later on, this is a few years after Paul's there, the same thing again with Hadrian. The architectural designs of Athens become the way that buildings are built in Rome, um, with the, the columns and the, um, the triangular pitched roofs, right? And even today, um, for example, the, um, the Supreme Court building or some of the monuments, like the um, Lincoln Monument and the Jefferson Monument, and the way they have the pillars and things like that, all of that goes back to Athens. Okay? All right. So that's where Paul's headed now. And the truth is, Paul's just headed there to kind of hide out until he can get on a boat and head back to uh, Antioch. That's his plan. Because everywhere he goes and preaches, what happens? He stirs up people. Yeah. There's riots, he stirs up people, and there's problems. And the Christians, in a sense, they're leaving Silas and Timothy behind to keep on preaching, and Paul's going to go take a break for a little while. That's the plan. Best laid plans sometimes don't... Work. Okay, question. Um, 
Is there a synagogue in Athens, or do we know? I I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. I would have to, to look. We are going to see things are just a little bit different in the way that he does it. There are Jews that are there, but I, I'd have to think about that for a second. So, um, we'll answer it. I'll have to look it up. We've got three pictures on here. I want to tell you what these places are first. The big one down here that's the diagram, that is the Agora of Athens. Athens is a Greek city. It doesn't have the forum in the same way that all the Roman cities have forums. Instead, it has an Agora, which Agora just means store. But it's the same kind of idea as a forum. It's just the Greek version of it. It's in the center of town, has temples around it, has open places. And then if you look at the picture, you can see there's lots of statues. Okay, there's even like the Temple of Ares right here. There's the altar to the 12 gods, right? So the 12 gods of Olympus. Um, there's lots and lots of statues and temples to these pagan gods. And you see in the upper right hand in the front of the Session 29 page, some of those statues still stand or have been re-stood up. Okay? And so you see how big and huge and prominent these Greek statues were. These statues would have been there when Paul was there. Okay? And then on the back, Athens is a unique town in that it is a flat plain with mountains that stick up all around it and in the middle of it. And on the top of some of these mountains, they build defensive positions with more temples and things on it. So the one that you know, the, that everybody knows, is the Parthenon, right? Uh, not, yeah, Parthenon, okay? And the Acropolis, okay? Right next to that, in between the Agora and the Acropolis, is this rocky plateau that's on the back page, right here. And that's called the Areopagus. Or, if you were to translate it literally, Mars Hill. The Greek myths said that that hill was where Mars was tied up by the other gods when he killed someone's heir. And it was a punishment. And that became kind of the center of their government. All the, the old, wise leaders of the town would end up on the Areopagus to make decisions, to judge murder trials, and to decide whose olive tree that was. Okay, things like that. So those are the pictures that we have here. I'm showing you those now because we're going to read about things that take place in these areas. And uh, that kind of gives you a background for that. Any questions on the pictures here so far? Okay, let's read Acts 17, verses 14 through 21. And I don't remember where we left off. Okay, let's start um, in the back and work our way around. Leonard? Okay. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. 
say. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I don't know where we are. We are on verse 19. Okay. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are preaching or presenting. For you to bring strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, only Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. All right. We, and we, we had accidentally read those first verses when we were reading before. So Paul goes to Athens. And what's he going to do in Athens? Preach. No. Yeah, it's not his plan. He's hiding out while all the, the danger blows over. And he's thinking that this is the end of this particular missionary journey. He's going to wait for Silas and Timothy to come there. And then they're going to be done on this missionary journey. But while he's there, I love the way it says it. He's avoiding the agitating and stirring up of the crowds. But Paul's, uh, it says this, his spirit is provoked within him. Why? He's not a lot of idols. Because he saw all these idols. And he knew what? They were false gods. So he's sitting here in this town waiting, looking around, and he sees all these false worship statues, temples, things all around him. And it provokes his spirit within him. And it is that way, right? I looked in the Greek. It's not that the Holy Spirit is provoked in him, like the spirit is at the joystick leading him around. Paul looks around and his spirit is provoked and the word there provoked means angry. Okay? Angry. He's angry because all these people are worshipping these false gods and that's going to cause what to happen for them? Condemnation. By who? By God. By God. Which means... Death? What kind of death? Permanent. Permanent death, yeah. We call it hell, right? By worshiping all these false gods, these people are going to go to hell. And they're just innocently doing it too, right? Do they know any better? No. No. So Paul works himself up. He's like, I can't believe these people are worshiping this dumb statue. Don't they know it's just a dumb statue? And he finally decides to do what? Preach. To address the faith of these people. To speak God's word to these people who are worshipping false gods and statues and idols of a similar sort to this. Okay? So he decides to preach. Now, what does this tell us as Christians? What does the American religion tell us? 
What's the religion we teach in school? Teach the kids. Not Good Shepherd School or Lutheran School, public school. What does their religion class teach them? Worship yourself. Okay. I mean, that's what you're there for. You're there to build yourself up so you can become successful in our society. Okay, that's true. Also to accept everything. Yeah. There's not that all these different religions all have the same level of truth. They're really doing that? I can only speak from when I was in Lincoln Public Schools 20 years ago when they already were in the classes, and right? You, so you tolerant. The word yes. tolerant. Tolerant, there. That's the word, right? They were neutral when I went to yeah. grade school and high school. I mean, well, the yeah. science teacher who presented the theory of evolution, he said, mm -hmm. this is just a theory I'm presenting to you and you all out here. I know you go to different churches and your pastors will have a different interpretation and that's fine. I'm not trying to dispute that. I'm just, yeah, it was yeah. a different world. <laughs> that's, that's not the world I grew up in. Um, in Lincoln Public Schools when I was a kid. And from my discussions with our confirmation students, it's not the world they're growing up in either. I don't know, has anybody talked to their kids or grandkids that are in school and what they learn? I talked to my grandson, he's now he's 24 years old, but he was living with me when he was going to high school in, in North Platte. And he told me his science teacher told, told the whole class that science will eventually disprove everything in the Bible. Oh, wow. Oh. It's the opposite. But it's yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, so scientism is one religion, and that's a funny statement, Leonard, because what did they just launch at Christmas last year? You guys know? The James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. Um, the biggest, most powerful space telescope ever cost several billion of your tax dollars to build and it is designed to see an infrared so that it can see the very farthest away corners of the universe with the idea the further away you look the older it is so they expected to see the very first galaxies that formed after the big bang what are they actually finding have you looked at any of the pictures they've had? I've looked at them, but I haven't read any commentary from or interpretation of them. Yeah, that's because they don't know what to... <laughs> because they're not seeing what they expect to see. The, the farthest away they're looking and seeing looks the exact same as everywhere else. It doesn't look like it's... Uh, aged any? It doesn't look like galaxies forming. It looks the same as here. Which says what? Everything was recreated at one time. Maybe there wasn't a big bang. Okay, now they probably won't ever say that, but that's what it, <laughs> that's what you see if you look at the pictures. And you, there are a few people writing papers in that regard, but they're being kind of uh, quashed. But it's not just the religion of scientism. When I went to Lincoln Public Schools, we also learned about Islam. What do we learn about Islam? What did, what did one of our presidents say about it? It's a religion of peace. 
the religion of peace. And just as true as Christianity. Or we go to the other ones too, right? Um, Judaism, Buddhism, uh, Mormonism, right? And they're all talked about as just as true. Now, to be fair, how true do they teach that the religions are? <laughs> they're all equally untrue, <laughs> right? But it's there. And so, I don't know how I got on this. This is they important, a, but... They have a pantheon of gods. They, the, the Athenians have a pantheon of false gods, and they're all worshiping them. I remember now. How do we act as Christians when we see false worship? We keep our mouths shut. That's what we do, isn't it? We keep our mouths shut. Is that what Paul does? No. He's like sitting in front of the, uh, these statues. He's sitting in front of the altars of the 12 Olympians. And he does not keep his mouth shut. He speaks the truth. So when we talk to our friends who are uh, of a different religion, whether it be scientism, Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, whatever it is, right? We all have friends that are not Christian, I think. What do we say? The truth. The truth. Okay? So, I was going to say, I just saw that. <laughs> He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. He goes and he preaches in the synagogue. And then he goes out into the marketplace, the Agora, the place that we see right here, with all the statues, with all the altars, with all the false worship. He goes out into that and he reasons with all the people who are there. Whoever was there, he went and talked to them about what? We're going to skip a line or two. Go down to the end of verse 18, after the dash. Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. As Christians... Oh, go ahead. Did, did the Jews worship the false idols in Athens because it was so ingrained in culture? Or did the Jews It very well could have been. I would have to do a little more research to know that answer for sure. The reality is that when you're surrounded by false worship, it's really hard for it not to infiltrate. Especially because Athens is this cosmopolitan place. If you want to be one of the educated elite people, you're going to all think the same way. We have the same problem here, right? <laughs> I'm just going to be honest about the United States. If you're going to be a cosmopolitan elite person, you all are going to think the same way as all the other cosmopolitan and elite people. Right? That's one of the problems we have as people. <laughs> Can I say that with 100% certainty? I'd have to do more research. He's preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. When you go and talk to that person who doesn't believe, what is the thing that you talk about? 
Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. Because Jesus and the resurrection are actually historically pretty hard to argue against. Can you deny that there was a person named Jesus? No, I don't even think atheists will. No, not even atheists will. You know why? Because it's very well documented in historical writings and fact that there was a guy named Jesus. Not just from the Christians either. So, Jesus, historical figure. I'm going through this really fast. We've talked about this for several days. <laughs> How about the resurrection? Paul's time there were 5,000 witnesses floating around. In Paul's time there were 5,000 witnesses floating around. How about in today's time? Can we talk about the resurrection? We think we did this a while ago, right? In this class. The resurrection also is very well documented historically. All the way back into the 50s AD. Which, 50s AD, would be how long after the resurrection took place? 20 years. Okay, I'm going to age myself here. This is my 20th year since I graduated from high school. Can I still tell you about high school accurately? Can I write a book on high school? Can I remember what I learned at junior high in Lincoln Public Schools? Yeah. Okay, can you remember 20 years ago? Okay. You guys are not helping my argument here. That's just 9-11. You remember that? Okay, the war in Iraq. Do you remember Y2K? How many of you guys bought a generator? Right? Um, I can... I can remember all sorts of things vividly with pictures and people in my mind from 20 years ago. The resurrection and Jesus, that's what we talk about because they are historically verifiable. That's our conversation point, just like Paul here in the city of Athens. All right. They probably, they probably, uh, the other thing that they said is he's speaking of foreign divinity. Yes. We've never heard of that we, that we don't that we don't have. So they had him and the correct. He wasn't speaking merely historically and scientifically. He was also speaking religiously. Theologically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's really an interesting thing to point out as well because the word that is used there for foreign divinities. Uh, the word for divinities isn't really divinities. <laughs> the accusation against him is that he's speaking about foreign demons. Okay, the word diomena, uh, I just said it wrong, demon in Greek. Okay, which isn't a big deal for the Athenians because who do they worship? Demons. demons. <laughs> so this, guy, this guy's talking about a new one. That's kind of the accusation that's brought up against him. Okay? So he's reasoning in the synagogue with Jewish and devout people, the same pattern as before. Um, but 
There's also something new. Now he's also going into the Greek agora, and he is uh, preaching to the Greek people in public about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, what's the methodology that he's going about here in his frustration of their false worship? Yeah, he's talking directly to them. I, I say this because um, he's not just... Uh, when we went to Higher Things in Illinois, there was a guy standing outside the cafeteria every day with a 10-foot tall sign on a pole that said, the end is near. Okay? And every time I went by, I just giggled to myself because I thought, you're at the wrong gathering, guy. <laughs> All these kids know that. <laughs> I drove my bike through, with the kids the other day, Holmes Lake Park. And you know how they have to bike chug those all the way around and there's little benches next to there? On one of the benches were these two people with a sign next to them that said, ask us about Jesus. And they had a box of watchtowers with them. Okay? Is that what Paul's doing? Just sitting on a bench waiting for people to come to him? Is he just holding up a sign waiting for people to come and ask him, why is the end there? Global warming? Does he just slap a bumper sticker onto his Mazda uh, that says, it's, I don't know, what are they, fish, right? Mm -hmm. Does he just have that and drive around and let that be? No, what's he do? He reasons with them. Uh, and the word reason here, when we say reason, um, have you ever tried to reason with your kids? What's that mean? <laughs> Frustration. <laughs> it could be an investigation. It could be futile. You say stuff like, um, well, why is it? So, okay, poor Hannah. Poor Hannah. I'm just going to pick on you a little bit. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. This morning, in the kids' bathroom upstairs, the cabinet door wouldn't close. Well, why isn't that door closing? It was closing the other day. Well, Hannah was sitting on it. And so she pulled the bottom uh, hinge out of the cabin a little bit so it wasn't able to close all the way. It was an easy fix. But you say to Hannah, Hannah, why did you sit on the cabinet door? And she says, I don't know. <laughs> Are you supposed to sit on the cabinet doors? I don't know. <laughs> Does it look like a chair? I don't know. <laughs> right? That's kind of reasoning that you have with a kid. The word that's used here isn't just that. It's a dispute word. They're having a verbal back and forth conflict about it. Where Paul's preaching his truth, and they're saying, oh yeah, well what about this? That doesn't make sense, what about that? They're disputing it. Like a, um, what do you call those, where they get the two people up there? A debate. Debate, thank you. Vicar Goodrow would have known, right? See, that's what he did in high school. Like debate, they're having a debate on the content of the faith. 
Okay? When we have people we know that aren't Christian, should we just reason with them? Or should we get down into the nitty gritty? It is hard, isn't it? Yeah, reasoning involves searching out premises you might hold in common for your arguments. Mm -hmm. And if you find that you have some common ground, then you can reason from that. So he was, he was reasoning about Jesus and the resurrection, and he was um, talking about all these idols that he saw and trying to enter into some kind of commonality so that they could understand right. what the news was. But is he avoiding the difficulty of being on different pages? Is he just passively going about? That's, that's the point I want to drive home. We need to actively talk about our Christian faith. Maybe that's a better way to say what I'm trying to say. Is that? Yeah, yeah, well, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So, they're having this debate. He's saying all these things. He's a little angry. Um, I'm sure you've never seen a pastor angry before. <laughs> Just sit on my cabinet door. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, we're going to run in then to these two different groups who come up to him, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, to talk with him about these things. Now, who knows a little bit about Epicurean and Stoics? I'm, I'm sure you do a little bit, right? Anybody else? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Better? Okay. That's what I kind of thought. So we're going to do a little bit of a talk about them, because this is a big thing in the ancient world, in the ancient pagan world. Okay? So Epicureans, first off. Epicureans are extremely materialistic people. Okay? Stuff, are, you know, it's real, things are important. They're the first ones who invented the idea of atoms, which we found out much later was true. They didn't have quite the right picture of it. They said everything is made of really small things. Okay? They're very materialistic, and what we have is what we have. And so, since we have this stuff, we should enjoy it. Right? Okay, so have you ever gotten like a good bottle of wine? And, uh, you know, like, I've been gifted a bottle of wine that was beyond what I could actually afford. What do you do with a really expensive bottle of wine that you're gifted? Save. Yeah, you set it on the counter and you look at it. Someday we'll open that bottle of wine when it's, when it's a good day. An Epicurean would say, no. You have this thing, you should enjoy it. They'd open the bottle right away and drink it and be glad that they drank it. Okay? As a result of their materialism and their desire to enjoy the things of this world, they also reject divine intervention. They wouldn't deny necessarily that there's gods or a god, but they would say those gods never ever get involved here. Instead, you have what you have and you should enjoy it. 
You don't need to give it to the gods because they don't care. You don't need to worry about the gods because they don't care. You have what you have. Enjoy it. So already, what would they think about God the Father and God the Son? They would just, that doesn't make any sense. The goal of their life is to seek out pleasurable and good things and to avoid suffering and fear, especially fear. They do not like fear. Okay? Sure, everybody has bad things that happen, but you should seek out the good things and enjoy the good things. Okay? Epicureanism. And it's kind of on... Um, you're to make a sliding scale. Today, we have people that are kind of like Epicureans, but they're way off even further down the scale. More hedonism. Hedonism says, do whatever you want and have fun. Right? Okay? So, that's where, like, Mardi Gras came from. Hedonism. <laughs> uh, or, um, whatever they put on MTV today. Right? Spring break. There do they still do spring break on TV, Vicker? I would not know. <laughs> okay. So how would they define the good? I, I mean, I mean, there was no moralistic good as far as they were concerned, right? That's my... They would not have necessarily a moralistic good as their definition. But instead, whatever is pleasurable is good. Whatever makes me happy. Whatever makes you happy at the moment. So, um, and it doesn't have to necessarily always be the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. The first three scoops of ice cream are good, and you can enjoy those. Starting with scoop 10 <laughs> and onward, all of a sudden what? It's not so pleasurable anymore, so you would want to avoid that. But you define everything by what is good, pleasurable, um, induces happiness within you at the moment. And so even moralism doesn't work that way. Um, could it make it could it be pleasurable and make you happy to steal something? Could, yeah. could right? Um, at least at the moment. So, I'm not saying Epicureans were thieves, because I think they have a little bit more nuanced version, but when you start to slip from Epicureanism into hedonism, mm -hmm. that's what we see now too, right? People bashing and grabbing in places. Okay, that's hedonism. Epicureanism is on that scale, but not quite so far out there as hedonism. The Epicureans would avoid, avoid things like politics. Why? Politics fun? <laughs> no. no. Yeah, so we know they're not going to worry about it. We'll avoid that. Whatever happens, happens. Um, that's that's Epicureanism. They kind of summarize themselves, one of the later Epicureans, with these four things. Don't fear God. Why? Because it doesn't exist. He's not going to take care of He's not going to intervene. Don't worry about death. Why not? There's nothing you can do about it. And that would just make you depressed. 
What is good is easy to get. And what is terrible is easy to endure. Okay? Epicureanism. That's a really... It's this emotional way of thinking what's, what's good at the moment. And do we see, still have Epicureans today? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's prevalent. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty prevalent. But I do think it does... We're more hedonistic today, right? No, that's bad. So, there you go. How about stoicism? I probably am more stoic in the way that I think about things, if we're going to label ourselves. Okay? Although, I'm not a stoic, I'm a Christian. But the way you think. Stoics are logical. Things are reasonable, and therefore there is a reasonable way to act and to live. Okay? Um, if things are reasonable and logical, then I shouldn't steal because I could get the same thing. How? By working for it. By working for it. And by stealing, I'm going to actually harm that other person. And. You could logic, reason all this stuff out, okay? Um, the goal of life in Stoicism is to live virtuously and orderly. And sometimes that means you suffer, okay? Right? So every year, Pastor Poppy and I work virtuously when we get a new vicar. But that does mean that we will probably suffer putting up with the new vicar. <laughs> you got to pick on him, right? Um, when you do the right thing, is the right thing always easy? That's what we're really meaning. Sometimes the right thing is the hardest thing. But we would do it because it is the right thing, the virtuous thing. They would say politics is necessary, but should be done to apply order to the world. They would say that virtue, doing the right thing, is necessary for happiness. Um, and they would say that virtue is bending your will to match what nature does. So, for example, uh, one of the famous Epicurean philosophers that we have writings from is actually the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And he has um, a book that he wrote, Meditation. Every day of his life, he read this book that he wrote. And it says stuff like this. Sometimes you run into stupid people. You just have to deal with it. Sometimes something will break. That's okay. Get a new one. I'm really way oversimplifying here, but that's stoicism. Whatever's going to happen naturally is okay, and I will adjust logically to match that. Does that make sense? I'm not a professional philosopher. Vicar, am I making sense? You said that Aurelius was an Epicurean, but he's oh, a Stoic. He's a Stoic. I said the wrong word then. Okay. I was getting confused. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's philosophy. That's, it is confusing. Yeah. Marcus Aurelius is a Stoic, so I apologize. We'll edit that out. <laughs> One of the most, uh, he led one of the fiercest 
persecution of Christians ever. Yeah. So he definitely rejected Christianity. Definitely. Even though Christians can think somewhat in that same moment. Yeah. Um, and so did probably the most Epicurean <laughs> yeah. emperors as well. Yeah. Both of them, you are never going to actually find the truth, which is Jesus, in any of these philosophies. But these are the people who are coming to talk to Paul. Okay? They call him, they were all the way at letter F here, on the back page. They call him a spermologus. A spermologus. Okay? Sperma, in Greek, means seed. Okay? And so they, what they mean by this word, spermologus, is literally he's throwing words out like people throw seeds for birds to eat. Okay? Word salad, huh? What's that? You would say word salad. Yes, word salad. Diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> that's, that's essentially, maybe that would be a way we could translate it in English. He's a babbler. He's just talking all these things, including foreign divinities, and the word there, again, like I said, is foreign demons. These are the accusations against Paul. But we know what he was preaching. What was he preaching? Jesus and the resurrection. Okay? So, was Jesus, or Paul being Lutheran? Yes. Is Lutheran teaching spermologus? No. Vomit of the mouth, diary of the mouth? No. It's the truth. And that's what we have to preach. So he's doing this in the Agora. They say, we want to hear more. And they take him up the hill to the place that's on the picture right there, the Areopagus. And you could go and visit there today um, if, you, if you wanted to. I haven't done it yet. It's on my to-do list someday when I'm rich and famous. So, <laughs> there you go. Did you go there, Dale? I was quarantined there. Oh. We only saw the Hyatt. Oh, oh. <laughs> Okay. Could you see it out the window at least, or did you get the window that looked? I actually went up to the top and looked, and I, I saw stuff, but I didn't see that. Okay. I saw something interesting. It looked like some sort of a a football field. Um, It's the place where if you've got a dispute about olive trees, 
or a murder trial that you would go and have the debate with all the smart people from town. It's also the place where you debated religious questions. And when I say religious questions, what do I mean? We're going to talk about it in terms of Christianity. They're going to ask Paul questions. But we're talking about Epicurean philosophy, Stoic philosophy, and pagan pantheon questions. Like, um, why did lightning strike your roof last week? Well, you must have done this against Jupiter. And so here's how you fix it. Those sorts of questions. All of this taking place on the Greek Areopagus in Athens. And it's there that Paul is going to preach a sermon. It's been a little while since we've had a sermon in the book of Acts, but they are still there. And we're going to have to read that next time to start with because we're out of time. So you can read it ahead of time if you want. It's an interesting one because Paul's going to quote scripture, but he's also going to quote pagan philosophy. Okay. And it seems a little weird, except sometimes even today we do that, right? Pastor Poppy, um, all the time, quotes 50s music. What was that? Right? 50s music. Pastor Poppy's always quoting oh, yeah. 50s music. Yep. Trying to think of a good example. When it gets to be Halloween, He's always quoting that uh, Monster, Monster Mash song. <laughs> or uh, we could go on for a long time. Or Pastor Pastor. <laughs> we won't pick on him anymore. All right, so we, we'll pick up with that sermon next time. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer, and we'll get ready for that next week. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power.